Welcome back to Church Unscripted, where we take a deeper dive into the conversations we're having here on Sunday mornings. Thanks for joining us today. And I have with me David Johnson, who is our worship pastor, as well as John Mueller, who is our community pastor. And we're excited about today's conversation. We spent this last Sunday in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the, the really the theme of it was that Jesus cares far more that we are a loving people as opposed to a people who perform with our spiritual gifts. And so hopefully that'll lead to some great conversation today. Before we do get into that conversation, let me just encourage you, if you've not yet done so, make sure you subscribe to our YouTube channel and then also like us as well as hit the notification bell so you can be notified anytime we upload new content, including these Church Unscripted uh, podcasts. So thanks again for being with us. Uh, Guys, uh, let's talk. (laughs) Let's talk. There's a lot to talk about this week. So I'm going to let David. Okay. Okay. All right. So uh, one of the statements you made in your sermon, I'm going to read it. Uh, you said, love is not about uh, what spiritual gift you have. It's not even about how you execute your spiritual gift. It's not even about the impact that your gift has on the community around you. Love is all about the posture in your heart towards the people around you. So how, um, I guess the question out of that is, is how should you posture your heart in, in that? Like it says obviously love, but like what posture should you take with your gift? Oh, man, yeah, that is a fantastic question. So here's how I've wrestled over that very comment. And I think I, that's probably one of the things in the messages or this last message that I probably should have spent a lot more time on. Um, but you asked the question, how should we posture ourselves? I don't, I don't think we have the ability of posturing ourselves mm. uh, because unlike our spiritual gifts, I think you can, you can learn more about your spiritual gifts. You can get better at your spiritual gift and still operate it without loving people. And it might become even more impressive or more impactful or more public. Um, but I think, I think with your heart being postured towards loving somebody else, that's got to be a part of the transformative role of the Holy Spirit. So if, if I recognize in my life that I'm not very much of a loving person, um, I think the first thing I'm going to do is say, Jesus, show me, show me why I'm not a loving person. You know, is there something in my past that has caused me to be distrustful? Mm-hmm. Is there something in my past, perhaps a traumatic moment um, that caused me to, you know, have an arm's length away distance from other people and caused me to um, have a, um, something of a lack of love for other people? So if I want that to, you know, soften my heart to other people, I've got to ask the Holy Spirit to do it. Mm-hmm. And I think it just starts by every morning saying, Jesus, give me, give me a heart that loves people. And when the opportunities come to love other people, um, let that come through. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, do you think it's something that you and I can develop by ourselves, or is it something that? <laughs> that's a that's a great question. But if you you defined four different types of love on Sunday, I did. Yeah, so yeah. I want to pivot a little bit, but it's going to add on to what you're saying. <laughs> so, you talked about agape love in a very specific way. Yeah, and it seemed that you were saying without sacrificial love, without agape love, mm. everything we do for God in our relationship with Jesus really means nothing. What did you mean by that? Or was that a wrong impression? Because I think that's where you're kind of going yeah. with it is like that our could, posture yeah. of our heart matters more than gifts. I, I, and I'm not trying to, to trying to put you in a, a pigeonhole, right. you, but I mean, you could take it that direction. Right, I think, I think you're right. Um, this this uh, church in scripted is really good at pulling out what I did not really fully say in the <laughs> messages. So I'm okay with that. So now I can recognize where you could really see that in, as an exclusive conclusion of if I don't have love, then... It doesn't matter. It's worthless. I think if I could define that a little bit more, you can still use your spiritual gifts without love and have an impact on other people. Uh, however, two things I think will be true. 
um, in the eyes of God, whatever you do for him um, is not gonna be as valuable um, if you don't have love. Because God sees our motivation. The Bible is clear that he sees the posture of the heart far more than he sees um, you know, what we try to do for him. Uh, but I think there's something else about this. Before long, it doesn't matter how well you use your gift or what you do with your spiritual gifts. People are gonna know before long if you really care about them or not. Um, and like I said, I could, I could preach messages. I'm not saying I can, but if I could preach messages that, that could fill stadiums, but people get the impression that I don't love them, then, then all my words, all my preparation are gonna to begin to fall on deaf ears. Um, and I've seen that happen in a lot of other pastors. They have the ability of building a mega church. Maybe it's by force of personality or just by communication skills, but um, the number of people that, that have left that church, not because they're not impressed, but because they never sensed that they were cared for. They never sensed that the pastor actually loved them. And I think that's what people are starving for. They're not starving for for great content. They're not starving for an impressive performance. What they're starving for is, is the heart of God, the heart of the father represented through the people who are shepherds in their life. And I don't think that's just true of us who are pastors. I think that's true of every follower of Jesus. There are people in your life who are starving for the, the, the heart of the father. Um, and, and it's up to us to show that to them. Well, and the reason I ask that it may seem like a little bit of a tangent off of what David was saying, but the reality of it is my answer to your question about, do you think we can develop that? I think not. Sacrificial love, especially after you gave some examples on Sunday. Wow. Like, does anyone naturally do that? I mean, we barely naturally do that with our spouses sometimes. I mean, let's just be honest or, or family members. And I think in terms of evidence of the Holy Spirit, we see love and care and concern in the church and that's evidence of the Holy Spirit working in the people of God. So, you know, I think of it as, oh, okay, this one person hurt me or this person hurt me or this or that. But sometimes what we're not looking at is the whole body life. And so really, when you look at this chapter, I look at spiritual gifts as a collective thing. In the Old Testament, especially, and in the Jewish culture, it was like, the whole church, the community of believers use their spiritual gifts. The community of believers need yeah. to love. It never was like you as an individual needs to love. You as an individual. No, it was, this is what the church is. And so I, I was reading that on Sunday and I'm mm-hmm. thinking agape love, agape love. This is so hard yeah. to sacrificially love others. Well, it's, and a, so. it's a choice. Like that love is a choice, right? Because the other ones are, are like a feeling or a or you're my brother, so I'm going to love you because we're family. But the agape love is a choice. And one of the things that, as you were talking on Sunday, um, the pastor that married us used this chapter for our wedding. And As do most pastors. As, as do most pastors. <laughs> but the thing that he challenged us with, and this was in regards to marriage, but as you were talking on Sunday, I was almost thinking this just applies to life. But he said, you know, if you want to know if you're a person characterized by agape love, Put your name everywhere there's love. So David is patient. David is kind. He's not rude. If those things aren't true, then I am actually not operating out of agape love. And I don't want to be doing that. And it's almost like a, not a development standpoint, but it's more of like eyes opening to say, Holy Spirit, like I want to be patient. Like you talked about how you want to be patient and kids often test our patience. And I I think that's just a a really good exercise of saying, like, I want to be patient. I want to be kind. And that's how we, we love. 
Yeah, I've, I've heard somebody say it's it's one thing to evaluate yourself and say, yeah, I'm a loving person or yeah, I'm a patient person. It's another thing to have somebody ask your spouse that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious, David, if I were to ask Katie, hey, is is David loving all the time? Ooh. Is he patient? I don't, no, don't ask her. Don't ask her. <laughs> <laughs> I won't ask Katie if you don't ask my wife. No. Fair enough. Um, but I really like that. And I think that's why the Paul is very, very clear when he lists the fruit of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the very first one he lists is love. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. Mm-hmm. And before anything else that comes from the fruit of the Spirit, he begins to develop that, that agape love in us. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I don't think that's something you can just do yourself. It's something that oh, the Holy Spirit's got to build into yeah. you. Yeah. So, so I actually have a question related to what you just said. I think it's very important to unpack this. And this is not just for us as pastors, but as a community of believers, who do you guys think is the hardest person to love? Like with an agape love. So I'm going to give you some categories. If we were to divide people, right? <laughs> yeah. Into three categories, overly simplistic, family, friends, acquaintances. Who do you think is the hardest oh, and why? Mm. And I can tell you what I think. Maybe, mm. no, David's, David's got an answer here. Well, I think I, David's got some, some ideas. I, he kind of gave me a clue into this question. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't it's, the only, it's the only semi-unscripted part Come of this. <laughs> I feel left he out said, here. He said, I kind of like to get Eric a little, you know, <laughs> yeah, I'll okay. give you a little bone here. Yeah. Uh, but when he asked me, I, my first instinct was to say family, those closest to you, because those who you're most vulnerable with, um, know you the most, you know them the most, and there's more to to embrace an acquaintance. I mean, I don't know. I think agape loves hard in general, um, but it's a lot easier to see somebody who I don't fully know. And I'm, Oh, I, I'll, I'll serve them. They're, they're human. I'll take care of them. Um, but to do that moment by moment is, can be a little more difficult. Well, mm-hmm. and, and I would say like most people don't realize this when they get married, but the person that's going to hurt you the most is your spouse in your life. And yet you love them the most. And so there's that that dilemma of what you just said is like, well, if I ask your wife, if you're loving, what's she going to say? And I'm like, man, that's like a test. I don't know yeah, about sure you is. guys, yeah. but as it, it's just, it's like, oh, wow. So the people that are next to your deathbed matter most. Mm-hmm. And so your job doesn't matter most. Your career doesn't matter most. If you have love, then those are the people that are going to speak highest of you. And mm-hmm. that's the hardest thing. I mean... I look at that and I, I would definitely say family because someone walking down the street that I just have an acquaintance with or someone I meet in a grocery store or something, yeah, I can love on them. I can pray for them. But am I praying for my wife? Am I praying for my kids? Mm-hmm. Am, I, am I investing in them? When they're really irritable and my three-year-old's running up a wall, am I willing to not raise my voice? Yeah. You know, like, mm-hmm. am I really showing love? You know, David, when you said, insert your name in all of First Corinthians chapter 13, I'm like, Ooh. Yeah, that, like, that's, that's not very. That's not yeah. very. Fun. Love bears yeah. all things. John right. bears all things. Believes in all things. Mm. Hopes and endures in all things. And love never ends. So, like, like I mean, seriously, like, think about that. And when you unpack that, mm. agape love is hardest for those we know the best. Mm. Because yeah. unlike God, <clears throat> if we're honest, <laughs> yeah, we're conditional. Yeah, yeah I, I don't. I'm not. Disagree, I'm not totally disagreeing <laughs> with you. Um, however, I I think I would say. A while ago, I learned a very valuable lesson, and this was from a former uh, pastor who worked here, uh, but he said something that's always stuck to me. Uh, He said, uh, don't sacrifice your family for the church. 
um, because one day um, you will leave the church, whether by retirement or resignation or termination, something like that. Or death. But, or death, you know, something like I mean, that. Yeah. Well, in this Sickness. scenario, death doesn't apply because the idea <laughs> is that, <laughs> yeah. no, the idea is that it, one day you're going to leave the church, but you're still going to have your wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. True. So um, your wife is going to go with you. Mm-hmm. So I, that's really stuck with me. So I believe in my marriage, the kind of love has matured and graduated. It started with Eros love, like the romantic love, and that was really the depth of our love. And then it moved to friendship love, right? And then eventually it's becoming more and more agape love, which means I'm learning more and more and I'm, I'm feeling the value and the joy of agape love with my family. Even though I say that I can be impatient with my kids and so forth, even though I can say rude things to my wife, um, I'm I'm learning the joy of agape love with my family. But there's another group of people. I mean, you ask the question, who's the hardest people for you to love? I, I think there's a group of people that, that um, I mean, it's the very group of people that Jesus died on the cross for, but I cannot get myself to love them with an agape kind of love and actually enjoy doing it. Mm-hmm. And as people who I, can, who I perceive to be entitled, um, lazy, manipulative, um, and there's probably like people like that all over in our life, but I, I just, it's hard for me to get to that place where I'm sacrificially and selflessly loving those very people. Wow. Uh, and that, I'm not there yet. That, that, well, and Eric, I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I'm not disagreeing in that sense. I think, I think part of that is, and even with, in my case, in my case, when I feel that I'm being abused in some way, like someone's taking advantage of me that's the first time where I'm like, I can't love this person because mm-hmm. if I love this person, they're going to take more advantage of me. Mm-hmm. And they're going to take more advantage of me of whatever it is, time, uh, financially, whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I think that's what, but Jesus, you, you quoted Philippians chapter two at the end of your sermon. It's like, he was obedient to the point of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And God never yeah. says like, pull that, mm-hmm. you know, so it's really hard. I think each one of us has that hard person to love. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think of that hard person to love and I think, okay, so it's almost like something that kind of festers behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. And every time that I think I've graduated past that, and I'm sure you've had those moments, right? Like, oh, yeah. I can love this person. I'm ready, you know? <laughs> like the moment that happens, God brings another person like that in my life. And mm-hmm. I'm just like, oh, I need you, Lord. Because yeah. yeah. I can't do this. And so I think in some level, that's a way that God uses to grow us. Mm-hmm. Well, this yeah. is the story of the prodigal son. I mean, kind of like the, um, the kind of the, the person behind the scenes that's kind of not very public in the story of the prodigal son. Luke 15 is the older brother. Um, and I think when we're talking about agape love, most of us are probably more like the older brother. The okay. father has all kinds of agape love. I mean, he mm-hmm. sacrificed and selflessly gave to his son, even though it was a ridiculous request. But his older son, um, when his younger brother came back and was finally redeemed, he's like, um, I'm not interested in joining the party because he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he blew it. He disqualified himself. Uh, but look what I have done. You're not even giving me a fattened calf to have fun with my friends, you know? Um, and I feel like more of us who have been in the church longer have developed an older brother attitude towards other people and have um, held back any kind of agape love because we feel that it is uh, unfair, unmerited. It's almost a tragedy if we give people agape love who have burned us so badly like the younger brother. Wow. Uh, Preach it, brother. Yeah, I mean, that, I'm listening how, to you. I'm like, that's... How, how do we change that, though? Like, as a church culture, if, if, we, if we feel that way, how do we change that? Do we have any power to change that? 
Well, the I think well, no, but I think in the, <laughs> in the story of Luke 15, yeah. uh, it it had to be the voice of the father to speak spiritual truth and reason mm. into his older son. Yeah. And the story ends with us not knowing how the older brother actually responds. But what we do know is that the father said what he needed to say to the older son to bring him in line with his heart. Mm. Um, and I think that's what probably the point of the Holy Spirit is, is he speaks truth and conviction and challenge in us Mm -hmm. where our heart is not in a line with the heart of the Father. And I think one of the reasons that Luke 15 ends without us knowing how the older brother reacts is because in a sense, our story's not done yet. So am I going to choose to listen to the voice of the Father and align my heart with his heart uh, or am I going to allow myself to stay bitter, stay frustrated, mm-hmm. and hold back this agape love from the people that I, I really don't want to give it to? Wow. So yeah. I think this is a great transition to an idea I had after listening to your sermon. You you said something in your first take home that I was just like, hmm. Like it gave me this moment of like, what was he meaning by this? Even though you unpacked it a little bit, mm-hmm. maybe you can unpack more. Yeah. Yeah. The statement, you're not ready to show agape love until you fail at it. Can you tell, like, I mean, I think I know where you were going, but I'm not really sure. And so I'm uncertain, like, what does that mean? And you just described a situation where the older brother failed in that moment, but we don't know what his future looked like. Right. The story wasn't over. So like, why do you think we have to fail first? Well, I think more of us are like Peter than we realize. Um, Because Peter had this brash personality, this this driven personality that wanted to perform more for Jesus than anybody else and prove that he is the number one disciple. And so he made all these promises about showing Jesus this agape kind of love. He said, I'm going to go to the end of the world with you. I'll die with you. Um, But when we make all those promises, until we fail at agape love, we haven't experienced the pain of of what agape love actually means. Um, Because when you show agape love, you are listening to Jesus when he says, if you want to be my disciple, you must take up your cross daily and follow me. For those of us who've never had to carry a cross anywhere, we don't have a clue on what it means to show agape love. So until you begin to carry a cross, um, then you're not humble enough because of the pain to actually say, all right, Jesus, I felt the pain. Uh, Now I'm willing to go with you wherever you call me to go. But that's okay because Jesus always leads us to places where we are invited to carry a cross. Well, and, and something that I've realized in my life is those most painful experiences are the time that God brings the most growth. And I think that definitely can be tied to agape love in the sense that like God moves us in a direction of maturity, spiritual maturity, yeah. you know, to go back to the statement mm-hmm. you started with, I mean, spiritual maturity, and that requires sacrifice, but it's not natural to us. We're not mm-hmm. like, hey, I really want to sacrifice you know, and when you look at Jesus over and over, he tells the disciples to sacrifice and what happens to all of them in the end. Mm-hmm. They're martyred or exiled. Mm-hmm. I mean, seriously, like oh, they yeah. were they were completely destroyed. I mean, you mm-hmm. look at what happened to Paul. You look at what happened to John. I mean, there's these crazy things happening. Stephen gets stoned and oh, yeah. they're like, more yeah. people come to Jesus. And it's like, yeah. he's asking for sacrifice because the end result is more people receiving salvation. And so I think many times we're collecting things in a way that we're not showing agape love. We're not willing to sacrifice that's what's closest to our heart. And what's closest to our heart tends to be the thing we talk the most about, we worship, we spend our time with. I mean, if you, if you look at people talking 
you know, a hundred years ago when the TV came around, it was like TV. We worship the TV. It's in the point of interest in the entire house. And we're watching, if you're watching this, you're watching on YouTube, you're mm-hmm. watching on a TV or a phone. And that's what we spend most of our eyeball time on. Right. And yet, if you think about it, going back to your posture of the heart, it's your eyes focused on the Holy Spirit using you for his glory yeah, yeah, yeah. in the heart. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, that's, I'm that's, that's yeah. it's just, it's a hard, it's a hard concept. You can distract yeah. yourself, for sure. Yeah, yeah. oh, dra- distract yourself so, totally. So you mentioned Peter, and we had somebody text in a question about yeah, Peter. Yeah, okay. Ooh, I didn't um, hear this one. Yeah, so <laughs> the, their argument was, uh, or not argument, their, their posed question was, did Peter show agape love when he chopped off the soldier's ear? Was that a, was that agape love or, or was it not? I, I do. Well, that's a good, I think he <laughs> thought it was agape love, but according to the heart of Jesus, that was not. And that's part of the other thing of agape mm-hmm. love. You have to let the Holy Spirit show you what that is. Mm-hmm. Cause there's all kinds of things that I say I would do for Jesus that are not what Jesus would want me to do. I mean, how many mm-hmm. people throughout history have done things in the name of Jesus, but they've been incredible atrocities. Yeah. In fact, yes. in fact, somebody has said that Adolf Hitler, uh, had his campaign against the Jews in the name of God. And I thought, how can you do it? So hmm. you have to be careful. The things you say you're going to do for, for God is actually the things you might do for, well, the enemy. Um, hmm. You got to be careful about that. So atrocities so he, throughout history done in the name of religion, hmm. I think is, is sometimes. So do, you think, do you think that was more of a self, selfish oh, yeah. act? Oh, absolutely. Act? Yeah, I think, I think he tried to prove to Jesus that, that he was Jesus' right-hand God. He's going to protect Jesus. And when Jesus stepped into his glory, which I think what Peter is interpreting as he's going to take over Israel, expel mm-hmm. Rome, that he's going to be Jesus' right-hand guy. So I think he's just posturing himself to be seen as Jesus' number two. And that's, mm. I mean, that's why it's not agape love. I yeah. mean, yeah, right there. It's self-serving. It's self-serving, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. Wow. So it, while we're still on the topic of Peter, I thought it was interesting when you, you honestly shared about looking at Jesus as your best friend. Yeah rather than with agape love and kind of contrasting what Peter's relationship with Jesus was, that was pretty deep. I mean, I was, I was really um, challenged by that. Peter denied any relationship with Jesus and then Jesus showed him agape love. Is this the picture of how the church should function? I'm asking both of you guys. And then in addition to that, I do have a second question. I know you guys love second I'm questions. Still processing the first. So, yeah, so no this is a picture of how the church should function, but is repentance and receiving repentant people a mark of the church living an agape love? Uh, a, I'll take the first question. You take the second. One. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love this because yeah. I love questions. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So let me just make sure I heard the first question mm-hmm. the right way. Is Ask it, ask it again. So, so, so is the picture, uh, is this the picture of how the church should function? Peter made a mistake. He denied Jesus. Yeah. And then Jesus shows him agape love, even though he's in denied Jesus. Yeah. So he shows him, is that the picture of how the church should function? I would say that's the picture of how the church should function. I would say it's not always the way it does function. Oh. Because, the, I mean, if you've heard the phrase, the church is really good at, at shooting its own wounded, right? Yes. And you see this happen all the time. Somebody has this massive moral failing. It's very, very public. And then the people that you thought were your great friends that begin to distance themselves from you mm-hmm. because they don't want to be associated with your failure. Uh, and then if they were asked questions about you, like, well, you know what, I... Uh, I didn't really know him that well. Or, you know, I talked to him and they just didn't listen to me. And so there's almost like a verbal betrayal. Um, and there's something of a of friend, friendly distancing. Um, and then the people who are, 
who fail like that, who have these fallings, they see all of this. And this in part is why several people I know, some people very close to me have completely abandoned the church because when they went through their experience, in this case, a very public and nasty divorce, um, the people in the church who were pillars in the church, one instance was they were in a grocery store and they saw somebody who they thought was this pillar in the church and they saw them turn around and walk the other way and avoid them altogether. Um, and they would hear snickerings. They'd come to church and people would avoid them. And I thought, man, that, that's not the picture of the redemptive, um, selfless, uh, forgiving heart of mm. Jesus. But it should be. Well, should and I, be. I think agape love has to go with, sometimes we read into people's intentions. Yeah. We mm. read into people's actions as very black and white. Yeah. And nothing in life is black and white. I mean, I don't know about you guys. There's, there's what scripture tells us morally. That's a very black and white. But what I, what I mean is we can't know other people's intentions and where their heart mm-hmm. is at in the moment unless we ask them. And yeah, it's so, true. Perception's reality, though. I mean, for a lot I, of us. I so, agree. So I when agree. we act towards somebody else, mm-hmm. we have to be very clear or very, very aware of how our actions being interpreted by the person mm-hmm. who at this moment of life is extremely emotionally sensitive and fragile. Mm-hmm. And so I think the church needs to go out of their way to not just have the right motivations, but to display the right relational intentions to the person. Oh yeah. So, well, and I would think, I yeah. think that that person turning the other direction is looking away from them rather and shaming them rather than just right. talking to them and yeah. embracing them. Mm-hmm. I think I found over and over the more grace you give to the person that's struggling that you know is struggling, mm-hmm. the better. Like oh, the more grace oh, yeah. you give them. And so, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, yeah. that's, I think that's a measure of agape love. Now mm-hmm. I'm uh, David. You got questions. You got questions. Well, question okay. so I already forgot it. So is, yeah, is repentance and receiving repentant people, a mark of the church living agape love. Is repentance and, re- and receiving repentant people. So, like for example, in your, I'll give, I'll play off your example. Yep. Is if that person is going through a divorce mm-hmm. and struggling, yeah. okay, and they're repentant of any sin that they had in, in mm-hmm. that. I'm not saying divorce is a sin, but I'm just saying like what, what whatever was happening there. Yeah. Then, are we going to receive them? Is that a is that a mark of a church giving agape love? I would think it should be. It should be. I mean, the, right, ba- right. the basic yeah. answer is why not? Right. I think Jesus would meet those people, and he would yeah. he would invite them to dinner. He would actually say, "I'm going to your house for dinner." I mean, <laughs> you know, like it's. Yeah. I don't. I I look at like this the story of Zacchaeus. Yeah, and that's at the end, he's like, he's like, he's like, I'm going to pay back fourfold, sevenfold. I'm just going to pay people back. Yeah. His heart of repentance what mattered more to Jesus than his previous prior sinful actions. Yeah, well, you know, and, and the other and, people cared too much about it still. And yeah. I think also that perception, like Jesus didn't care about spending time with people who were sinners. And I think a lot of times yeah. in the church, we, we don't know how to spend time with those people because we don't want to be associated with them. The perception is, oh, well, you just do this and this because you're with this person. And Jesus is saying, no, I love this person because he's made in my image and I'm going to spend time with him whether he truly believes in me or not because the ultimate goal is for him to know me so so there may be in a more immature period of my life but i'm i'm just going to share with another angle on that a little bit one of the things i think christians struggle with is if i'm around people that don't believe for a long period enough time they're going to kind of rub off on me Mm. and i'll be influenced by them rather than be the influencer in that situation Mm. so we're instead of praying that God would make us an influencer for people to come mm. closer to Jesus. We just sit back and don't do anything. I mean, yeah. I'm just being honest. Like that's, that's really hard. I mean, 
I think of different periods in my life where like, okay, so God put me in this mission field, mm-hmm. let's say, and no one around me is a believer. Man, I need some time with believers, but I need to balance this and what mm-hmm. that looks like. So, I mean, Eric, I mean, you can answer this, David, you can answer this, but I just think of agape love cannot just be lived out in the church body. Mm. What does that mean? Well, I mean, didn't, Jesus says that the world will know that you are my disciples by the way you love one another. Mm. Yeah. And the argument has been from some people that the one another refers to people in the church. Yeah. And that might very well be true. However, if I look around the church, it's including me full of people who are broken and have made mistakes and have failed in mm. several ways. And so to love one another is to love people who have pretty messy lives. Mm. And if you want to love them, you've got to step into that mess just like Jesus did and offer grace and forgiveness and hope. Um, and that, that's a hard thing to do. Um, there's, been, there's been several times where the most influential and impactful people in the church have come from an experience that for a lot of people would, would cause them to be shunned in so many different ways. But because the church extended them grace and extended them the same love that Jesus does, they were not only restored, but they were now empowered to have a story that impacted a ton of people's lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why while we never condone or encourage or celebrate any kind of sin, what we do is, is work hard to uh, restore that person mm-hmm. with the same love and heart that Jesus has. Mm-hmm. Because we realize that, every, I mean, the Bible says that um, God makes everything for the good for those who love him and are called to according to his purposes. Mm-hmm. Um, and he can take the, the, the worst, most broken person um, and create incredible good from it. But the church can sometimes get in the way of that. Well, and, and humanity in and of itself was made in the image of God. Right. So if we view each person as an image bearer of the God that we worship, the way that we love them, it, it looks different. It's not easy. It's messy and it's gross. And it just, it, it takes a lot of work and attention. But I think that's the heart of it is if you look at somebody and you see God in them, it makes it really hard for you to hate them or to turn around and walk the other way. Yeah, and that's why I'm so proud of Brookside because even though Brookside has caused hurt and caused pain in the past to people, I think the culture of Brookside is increasingly becoming a safe place for people to heal and be restored. And I can't tell you the number of conversations I've had with people over the last year who have come from different places um, where they perhaps made a mistake, uh, had a failure. And in the process of restoration, they were more shamed than given hope. Um, and they were more shunned than giving Mm. the right hand of fellowship. And, and they come to Brookside looking, they're not looking for better preaching. Mm. They're not looking for a better worship experience. They're not looking for a better program. What they're looking for is a people who will uh, embrace them Um, and help them find healing in Jesus. And, and hopefully, and, no, not hopefully, that is the culture that Brookside is increasingly becoming. That's why I love this church so yeah. much. So it, it, there's a whole nother avenue, and this is like not off topic, but this is about as unscripted as it comes. So as oh you were saying that, I was thinking of the fact that most of us have a, a speck or a plank problem in our life. We either have, if we, if we have, we're looking at other people's specks in their eyes, you know, scripture says, and we've got a plank in our own, and so we're either on the judgment end of things or we're on the no judgment end of things. And in reality, love, 
what, is, what does scripture tell us? It does correct. It does train. It does respond to things. And I think- Yeah, we, not fun ways sometimes. Yeah, not, not fun <laughs> ways. I mean, God disciplines those he loves. Right. You know what I'm saying? And so I think yeah. on, on some level, we are, I mean, as people, we really struggle with that balance of what, how do I respond and correct? I find, I find that- if you're on the more judgmental end of things, you like feel like you need to correct everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then if you're on the non-judgment kind of things, you're just like, let him go free. And mm-hmm. you don't respond mm-hmm. to sin. And you're mm-hmm. like, well, that is sin. And I, what something I've realized is if the door is not open, right, right, you can't do anything. So, yeah. so I, I guess I'm trying to, how do you agape love? Like, how do you agape love someone that the door's not open? Sorry, Eric, that's a hard one. I mean, well, you know, it's, it's interesting you ask that question. Um, of all the miracles that we see in the Gospels that Jesus did, and even the book of Acts with the early church, um, there's a lot of people who have a personal touch from Jesus, and Jesus decides to heal people. He decides to give them new life, which is fantastic. How many people did he walk by? I mean, when he healed somebody who was lame on the steps, how many other people were lame on those steps? When he went to the pool of Salome, the pool yeah. of Bethesda, yeah. And he gave that person the ability to walk mm-hmm. again. How many other people were sitting around him that needed healing just as much as he did, but he didn't heal them? Um, yeah. why, why did Jesus not do that? And I'm wondering if he saw something in these people's hearts, I'd call it faith, that was open to God's redemptive and healing power. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always bothered me. Why didn't he just stop and heal everybody? I mean, even now... I know, he could have done that to everybody. I and mean, he Snap could do his that fingers, now. Right? He can empower me. We're talking about spiritual gifts. What if somebody has this, the gift of, of healing and I can walk up to you and I can say, hey, be healed. Why isn't that person walking up and down the hallways of Parkview Hospital, yeah. right? And saying, be healed, right? Um, I think it's because there's something that God is looking for hmm. that is open to his redemptive healing power. Hmm. Um, and and I, think, I think you've said it before, and I know, David, you've alluded to it in a service, you know, recently, but like this idea of we're broken to the point of being open to what God has for us. And I think that's something that Jesus clearly did through mm-hmm. all his ministry. I mean, you even look at when he did heal people that didn't come back and thank him, you know, mm-hmm. like the le- one leper comes back and everyone's just like, oh, wow, one out of one out of however many yeah, out, of one out of 10. Yeah, yeah, one out of 10. It's like, yeah. well, what I, Jesus is... Jesus' record for thank yous is one out of 10. Right, right. And so I think, I think in some ways mm-hmm. we desire to see God's redemptive power, but I think God works in such a way that many times we don't see God's redemptive power being worked out through us. Does oh, that yeah, make sense? That, like, that's the story of Luke 15 and the mm-hmm. prodigal son, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, the only way that the younger son uh, was able to receive the redemptive power of the father is because he found himself in a pigsty. Um, the people who legitimately, literally, literally. <laughs> so the people who understand God's redemption more than anybody are the people who have had the things most needing redempt, redeemed from. Um, I mean, that, that's what we believe is people who have been shown a ton of grace, know how to show a ton of grace mm-hmm. and people who have been loved deeply. This is scriptural, know how to love other people deeply. Um, and I don't think sometimes the pain we go through I don't think God is celebrating through those experiences. I don't think he's saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make life hard for you. Mm. Um, I, what I think he is doing is turning those experiences into opportunities mm. where our heart is now uh, open and mm. postured uh, to receive that redemptive love. Mm. And I think before that, we weren't able to. 
um, uh, and that's well, a humbling process. Eric, does that mean I'm a really stubborn person? You know, I've Listen, I'm glad things, you finally you know, said like, it, I'm man. We, it, like, that's what we've always been seeing, but I'm glad uh, yeah, you finally yeah, said yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's right. Well, and I, and I think about, like, have you ever have you ever prayed for someone? I, no, I prayed, never. No, never done no, that. No, no. Yeah. <laughs> no. Uh, you stopped me before I finished my <laughs> sentence. I've prayed for family members, yeah. sometimes for years. Yeah. And I'm just like, God, just help them to be open, right? Help them to be open. Yeah. I, I mean, in, in essence, some of my prayers are like, just break them because they clearly think they can do it on their own yeah. and live life on their own. And they yeah. know they know better. Like there's, it's not about yeah. knowledge. It's about the heart in mm-hmm. agape love. So mm-hmm. um, you had one last take home and I, I kind of want to bring it home a little bit here because yeah. you had the last take home was ask the Holy Spirit to give you Jesus' attitude. I know when I was in youth group, it was what would Jesus do? <laughs> and sometimes what would Jesus do was just a, an amalgamation of what we thought Jesus would do yeah, right, <laughs> rather yeah. than what scripture says. But how, do you, how can we have the attitude of Jesus mm. when we, we're losing hope for someone's salvation? How do we have mm. the attitude of Jesus when we don't see that redemptive power being worked out? We don't mm. see that openness to redemptive power. We don't see any doors. And... I'll give a I'll give a side to that. I I would argue sometimes it's because we want to be the redemptive power and we're not open to other people mm-hmm. helping them. Yeah, I'm going to answer you, but then David, I want you to give your two thoughts <laughs> to this because I know you've been a part of uh, you've got some family relationships where that's been the very mm-hmm. conversation you've had with yourself. Mm-hmm. One thing I learned um, when I when I was a college pastor, I had you know dozens of these college students who because they're college students are making so super dumb decisions. Mm-hmm. And I kept thinking, you know, I keep teaching them every single week from scripture. Why are they not changing? And this has been over the course of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I realized is I was bearing the weight of their spiritual maturity on my own shoulders. Uh, and so I felt like I had to preach better. Or I had to be more relational. And then that would brute force them into the redemption and yeah. the healing that what, we, what we're praying for. And then it just, just hit me. I am not responsible for that. Jesus never made me responsible for anybody else's redemption. What he made me responsible for is to show that same agape love like Mm -hmm. Jesus does to them. And then I just have to trust the Holy Spirit to work on that person in ways that I never could. And so it's actually changed the way that I pray for those very people in my life. Um, It's, now, the, the, and once you realize that, I mean, the weight is just pouring off your mm-hmm. shoulders and there's like a breath of fresh air, a sigh of relief mm-hmm. to realize that I don't have to bear the burden. Mm-hmm. All I need to do is just show them that same kind of love. And that's the attitude of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Jesus did everything he needed to do to save people. He went to the cross. Yeah. And if people don't accept him, uh, mm-hmm. even after that, uh, Jesus' heart is saddened and it's broken for mm-hmm. their loss but he has already done everything he needs to do for the redemption. Mm-hmm. And if that's all Jesus did, we don't need to do anything else except love him. Well, and, and when I've shared evangelistically, mm-hmm. it's like, they're not really rejecting me. Oh yeah. They're rejecting yeah. Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so I think sometimes we take it a little too personal mm-hmm. and that's why I want to hear from David. So like, yeah, I mean, I think being present is the key. I think recognizing, like you said, like there's nothing I can say, nothing I can do to save someone but I can be a friend. I can be, I can serve them. And I think that's what's hard is it's easier to, it's easier to want to be the one that saves them. Like I've heard so many times like, oh, I just had them this close. Like, like they're asking me questions about God and I, I like, 
I almost got him. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah. well, no, that's just, that's, that's the Holy Spirit working in them to be inquisitive. There's nothing that you're gonna do. Like, I can't make you pray. I can't make you accept Jesus. I can't oh. make you have <laughs> yeah. faith, yeah. but I can be near you mm-hmm. and you can see faith in me mm-hmm. and you can ask questions. I, I would rather be on the question end. Like, I would rather you ask me questions than me push Jesus can, on you. Can I, can I drop a bomb on you guys? I don't think you guys have heard this story, but it's, it's Go for directly it. related to that. My dad was saved because his neighbor invited him over to dinner. Yeah. And he watched the family and it was nothing he ever hmm. experienced in his life. Oh yeah. yeah. And this neighbor, hmm. if you met them, not evangelists. Yeah. They're literally, they're about <laughs> as normal as they come. They're believers. Hmm. And the way they treated their kids, my dad as a single man that was their next door neighbor came over and was saved by a couple that was just obedient mm. to sharing yeah. with him why they dealt with their kids the way they did, why they mm. they ran their home the way they did, and that's why I'm here today. Yeah. I mean, I, I I almost get emotional. It's because someone was obedient to the mm-hmm. calling mm-hmm. that God put on each one of us, not yeah. as a pastor, yeah. mm-hmm. but as a believer in mm-hmm. Christ to use one, your spiritual gift, but that spiritual gift was love. He was invited into a house and they didn't know him, Imagine inviting a single well, guy over and you got four daughters. I yeah, mean, like, yeah, come I'm on, kidding. like a little well, bit. I, th- yeah. I think that's the church, right? Like we, we tend to meet our neighbors and we, or our family members or whatever it is. And we say, come to church with me. But that's not the place most likely that they're going to encounter Jesus. They're going to encounter Jesus by you opening your home, inviting them in and having conversation and letting them see Jesus in you as you live. Um, I think that's so important. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what else to say. Well, when, when you read the Gospels and you look at the, the behavior of Jesus, one thing that you notice is that he is uncompromising uh, in the truth. Mm. He is driven towards the salvation mm. that he's bringing the world. But in all of that, uh, amid all of the rejection, all of the questioning, mm. all of the hostility toward him, yeah. there's never one place where you get the impression he's anxious. Yeah. And so one, some language that we've been learning from Soul Leader mm-hmm. um, is to be a non-anxious presence. Yeah. And I think part of the appeal that drew people to Jesus mm-hmm. is um, his non-anxious presence yeah. with them. And I think if you are bearing the burden of everybody else's failures, everybody mm-hmm. else's pains, mm-hmm. um, then that generates something of an anxiety mm-hmm. that, that people feel. Yeah. And when they're around you, they get anxious too. Yeah. Jesus had this, this ability to be non-anxious while at the same time mm-hmm. being heartbroken for the loss, yeah. which means that yes. when he was around people who chose to reject him, mm-hmm. I think it broke his heart but he didn't let it get to him mm. because he had this non-anxious presence yeah. and he was invitational well, all the time. I think what's interesting too is um, that I think our own busyness keeps us away from that type of relationship. Mm-hmm. And you talk about Jesus's ministry. Every time he stopped to perform a miracle or invite, or invite himself over to someone's house for yeah. dinner, uh, he was on his way to something more important. Yeah. And he stopped. Mm, And that's, I almost feel like that's like, that's a word for the church is like, especially in America, like we are so busy and we, we, we just hustle, 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 hustle. And we miss opportunities along the way. And Jesus, he just, he was walking to somewhere with purpose and he stopped to notice, dealt with someone, loved them, and then kept going. 
And I think, I, I think if we can do that as a church, that's going to change this community. That's going to transform lives in this place. Like, oh yeah, somebody, somebody called that holy interruptions. Yeah. Um, and that's where I think uh, the opportunities for agape love really live. Mm-hmm. Are you really willing to step aside from your busy schedule yeah. uh, and your daily purposes mm-hmm. to show that kind of love? Yeah. And if, if you are, I think he's going to put opportunities yeah. in front of you. So I, I have another question about love. Okay. <laughs> are, we, are, we, are, we, are, we, are we good? We got are, one more. Okay. Uh, one I'm more. In. Do you have more? Uh, I had one that I didn't do yet. <laughs> well, we'll see if it. Let, I don't let's know. see where okay. it'll be in well, the same category. I might just say we're done. We're and done. Then, <laughs> and then move on. Yeah. Okay. Well, so you talked about the four different types of love, right? Yeah. Okay. So, do you think that we have cheapened love in our English language, and it's harder for us to love in agape way because we love our wife like we love football, like we love our dog, like we love anything else like do you think we've cheapened love chick-fil-a we praise god but i mean (laughs) i mean like do you think that we've in a way cheapened love by the way that we define it as in our language that's a good question i I would not say that it's been cheapened i would say it's been redefined and Mm. so i think the way that it's been redefined uh, especially this uh, idea of agape love yeah um, i think it's been redefined but even in the redefinition the people who embrace the redefinition still put an incredible amount of value on it. And so I would say that agape love is no longer showing the heart of the Father in a gracious, compassionate, redemptive way to people. It's now being tolerant of other people in whatever lifestyle or choices they've decided to make. And so um, the, the culture is now telling us that the most unloving thing that we can do is to um, tell somebody that there might be sin in their life or to tell somebody that their actions are not God honoring. And so love has been turned on its head. Uh, and I think that has bled into the church. And when so when you say love has become tolerance? Love is now tolerance. Okay. Yeah. yeah it, that's, it's that's, it's that's no longer the representation of the heart of the father. Mm-hmm. It is now whatever you want to do. I'm just going to support that blindly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm not going to get in your way and hey, more power to you. If yeah. you want to go off the deep end and, you know, make a wreck of your life. Right. Um, that's not biblical love, but that's mm. cultural love. But there's still, mm. I mean, the, the culture's put a ton of value on it. And the problem is that has seeped into the church, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and now even in the church, pastors are scared to talk about sin because of the reaction. Yeah. Um, do, you th- do you think that has to do with, like, I guess, like, I think of, like, when Jesus addresses Peter, he uses agape. And then he, uh, Peter responds with phileo. Uh, phileo. Yeah. So I, I guess, like, from our perspective, like, like you said, you discovered, like Jesus says, do you love me? And he's like, well, yeah, I love you. But until you understand those, those root words, you mm-hmm. don't understand what type of love. Right. Do, you th- do you think that that has to do with why love has become tolerance? Because love is, is one word in our language that use, that's used for such a broad thing. Oh, yeah. Well, in that sense, it very much has been cheapened. Yeah. Uh, and I guess you can make the argument that when Peter said, no, I love you like a friend, he might be saying, Jesus, this is just who I am. I need you to accept me as I am hmm. um, and not challenge me to be holy um, or faithful to you. I, it, you could make that argument, um, but I think that could that is one way that you and I can easily step into the downward slide mm-hmm. of cheapening love. Yeah. yeah. If we begin to say, I don't need to show Jesus agape love or other people agape mm-hmm. love. I just need to be friends with them. Um, I just need to be tolerant of them. Mm-hmm. Then the next step is... Um, well, love is just this idea yeah. and, and really has no value whatsoever mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. There's just so much stuff here. I, I, 
I have one question. I want you to give the lightning round version of it, okay? Can it's we like, do the lightning round? Like He's seconds. like, I've got 21 so questions. Like, you like, have three minutes like, to yeah. answer. You said on Sunday, and I think you said this for a purpose. Okay. So, of course. It's not. If it's Here in the sermon, go. it's not a purpose. <laughs> Love people, and if you do that, your gifts will have more impact. But the problem is love is not easy, especially agape love that you were talking about. So I think that might be a little simplistic and doesn't account for how difficult love has been. How have you, and I think this is actually should be a David question too, have you chosen to love despite opposition or malice? I know that's super deep. I, I, can, I can say like, sometimes, sometimes saying a kind word or not saying anything at all in certain situations where you just say, I... I'm not going to be defensive about this. I'm just going to Le- left on my own. I do not choose that. Okay. Right. I, I mean, wow, that's I, real. I mean, I, I need the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, in moments like that, it makes me more aware because I I am a uh, I'm a pretty even tempered person until I just erupt, and so I need the Holy Spirit to say no. Like you you are going to love this person. Like, I left on my own. Yeah, I left on my own. I would not do that. Yeah, well, well, holiness is a choice also, isn't it? It's not just a state of being. It's also a choice. And so every day we have a choice to choose living like Jesus or not. And I think when in terms of uh, how you relate to people who have hurt you or burned you or something like that, one of the things I've discovered is the older I get, um, the more I realize that bitterness and malice Mm. and holding a grudge over somebody uh, is a waste of time. And the only person that it really hurts in the long term is yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of Jesus' motivation to teach us to be loving people mm-hmm. because it's not just for a healthy relationship with them. It's to actually keep our own spirit, our own soul mm-hmm. healthy. Because the more you let bitterness and malice and a grudge fester in you, it becomes a cancer. Mm-hmm. And it begins to affect everybody, every relationship you have. Yeah. And I think that's part of the maturing process the Holy Spirit puts you mm-hmm. through. Yeah. Yeah. So, I agree. It just doesn't, I mean, it's just not helpful. I, I mean, and I think it... In, in when there is malice towards you or there's opposition towards you and you're using your spiritual gifts, let's say, and you're loving and caring, mm-hmm. many times you don't see the purpose of that until well after the actions, the thoughts, the ideas that happen during that time. So you right. don't, you don't right. see the ripple effect of the maturity that's happening yeah. until years later, potentially. Yeah. So yeah. you're right. It's not a quick process. That, that was not a lightning round, uh, but that's okay. <laughs> that's all right. Uh, hey. hey, listen, anything else before we sign off? Uh, no. I, I, All right. Well, thanks, Agape guys. love, man. Okay. That's, that's, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's where it's at. Well, thanks, guys, for being here. And thank you for joining us uh, on our YouTube channel. Thank you for joining us for Church Unscripted. Again, if you haven't done so yet, make sure you subscribe to our channel, like us on social media, and then hit that notification bell so you can be notified whenever we upload new content. Thank you for joining us. We hope to see you this Sunday, whether in person or online at brookside.org. And then uh, keep in mind, we'll be uploading more Church Unscripted content next week. Have a great day and we'll see you then.